wonder-working stars in the precious... Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. <laughs> You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. Come in. Sit. Please, sit. You must be weary from your travels. Do you take ale? Mmm. Of course. Of course. You're welcome to stay the night and eat at my table. Hmm? No. <laughs> no, no. I learned long ago that hospitality is its own reward. These lands are treacherous enough. It's best to have friends where you can find them. Not everyone who lives in this village agrees, but... It's my house. Uh, maybe you can go buy one of Micah's little charms in the morning. He'll like that. Maybe he'll stop complaining to me about taking in every stranger who passes through. That'll be your little return favor. Sound fair? No, I don't believe in them. I believe in what they're supposed to ward away. Just not that they have the power to do so. But they make him feel safe. Charms like that, I used to see them everywhere in this town when I was a boy. Now, just Micah's house. People are less superstitious than they once were. Whether they're right to be, that's another matter. Maybe if they'd been born here, things would be different. But nobody in this town was, save for me. You see, this town, this place, they're old. But the homes, the lumber and building stone are new. Well, not new. Younger than me, in any case. Rebuilt after... Well, that's a story, isn't it? If you'd like to hear it. Hmm. This province has always been a dark place. From the hinterlands stretching to the fens and the lowland forests at the foot of the mountains, nature twists, beasts stalk the land. The sun sets in the sky prematurely, and settlements are few and far between. But still, towns persist. It's in our nature as humans to persist, to reclaim, to shape the land, however fierce to our use. This is, was, and is, such a town. My childhood home stood where we are now. It had been here for generations. My father was a woodsman, as his father and his had been. Uh, uh, uh forgive my dwelling on things. This is not the story of years and years. This is the story of one night and the next. The night that he visited our home and the very next. It was an hour past sunset, which in this land is earlier than you might think it, when there was a knock on our door. Not abnormal at that hour, but not common. In this land, work is best done under what meager sunlight there is, and the night is best left to its creatures. 
But still, my father was not one to ignore a knock on his door, regardless of the hour. Something about those knocks. It stayed with me even to this day. One, two, three. No aggression, no urgency, a strange gentility to them, but with a power that still filled our home and an authority that demanded answer. My father opened the door. I watched from my seat at the table, trying to peek a glance at our night visitor. My father's broad shoulders blocked my view, though, and during their quiet conversation all I could make out was a tall outline and a dark cloak. But after that moment, a nod of my father's head and a gesturing of his arm to enter, I was able to gaze upon this stranger for the first time. Tall, yes. A head taller than my father, a tall man in his own right, and slender you could tell even beneath the cloak. A dark, darker than black silk that billowed out at the visitor's feet as though they stood in a pool of darkness. They entered, and as my father shut the door I caught a glimpse of what I suppose must have been their transport. A carriage and horse, both as black as that cloak. Though I only saw this for a moment with my child eyes, I could see that the carriage was well built and grand, the horse large and powerful. This visitor was no commoner, that much I could tell. Will your beast be alright? my father asked. The wolves in these parts are bold, and there's worse than them out there as well. It will be fine. The first words I heard him speak. A male voice that struck me dumb when it entered my ears. So much like that knock at the door, quiet, soft, but entrancing, commanding. Yes, of course, my father said. He flushed as though he felt himself foolish for asking, and there was the smallest quaver in his voice. Turning to my mother, who sat at the table with me, a knowing look passed between the two. I take it you will need no food or drink? No, but I thank you for your hospitality. With this, the figure finally brought down their hood. To this day, I have never again looked upon a face of such complete and refined beauty, whose angles and sharpness of features seem to defy common nature, clear, powder-white skin, abyssal black hair, and those eyes. They're difficult to describe, or rather, in thinking of them, my mind becomes somewhat cloudy. They were silver, bright, piercing, cold. Mm. Perhaps that's all I should save them for now. Truly, I thank you, he continued. Not all in these lands would open their doors to me. Not all would honor their oaths. Times are changing, and customs with them, my father said. All too true. You speak wisdom beyond your station, woodsman. Tell me, do you know what has happened in the north, so very far away from your little town? My father was silent for a long moment. Never had I seen him so unsure, standing in his home as a dullard would in the center of the road. But, after a long moment, a collection of carefully selected words came from his mouth. I have heard that Kester Keep has been sacked. And? And nothing else that is certain. But enough have told of the keep lying ruined and empty that I must take it for truth. This time it was the figure that stood silent. My own mind was racing. Kester Keep. It was a place I had only heard tell of in stories, things to scare children, 
It was a place where monsters dwell, made of stones, stained crimson from one thousand years of blood rite. I wanted to stand, to ask the visitor my questions of childhood fancy, questions about the Kestere Beast, the Vilstokena Fiend, the damned Hasmodian Legion. But I did not. I felt the graveness of the occasion, and my mother's grip tightening around my arm. Well, let it then be settled that it is the truth you speak. The witch-hunters, after long illustrious years of drunkenly stumbling through mausoleums, burning old women and culling the wolf population, finally roused the people of Gatzenberg, Eisenkirk, and even Hannistown, who stormed the keep and raised it not a fortnight past. My father's gaze had turned to his boots, though his eyes were still wide with a sense of alertness and, I could tell now, fear. And the lord of Kester Keep, what have you heard of his fate? I would not presume to guess, sir. Sir, the visitor laughed, low, quiet, but still earnestly. You do amuse me, my lord woodsman. The keep's master lives, if still lowered to transience. At this, my father, I can only guess now having confirmed his belief of this visitor's identity, sunk into a deep bow. My mother shot up to follow suit, yanking me from my own seat and pushing my head down, though I still struggled against her to peer up. With slow, sure steps, the visitor strode to my father and placed an alabaster hand on his shoulder. Please, my friend, you have shown deference enough. It is my belief that a man is the lord of his own home. I am but a guest. He removed his hand, and with a single finger, with a long, talon-like nail, took my father by the chin and brought his head up to meet his eyes. You are peer to those who should be your betters, to those of Gatzenberg, Eisenkirk, and Hannistown, who have lived under my protection for so many years, who have lived like worms in the cold, dark dirt under the shadow of Kester Keep, who would have been destroyed countless years past by things far Worse, had I not been here to bring order to this land. He removed his finger, though his eyes had become more intense. My father stood and stared as though his head were locked in place, grasped by claws, but it was plain to see that the visitor required no such brute tactic to hold a man in his gaze. He stood deathly still and continued. But you... You know that a centuries-old fealty is not so easily broken. And at that moment, the visitor's eyes relaxed, and my father with them. The lordly stranger turned away and cracked a smile. Or at the very least, you know to honor your duties of guest right. My father, seeming to be fully in his senses once more, came to stand by my mother and myself. Forgive me, sir. My lord... But what is it that we can do for you if not offer you the food of our table? Do you require a respite? The visitor turned back to face us. No. I shall leave this very night. And as you must be sure, I do not require the contents of either your cups or your larder. But my visit is not without purpose. And there is one request I must make of you. My father stood frozen. I can only imagine what he was thinking what he was feeling. He said nothing, surely afeared for what came next. 
I have been traveling long, and I must travel long still. My path shall take me to the harbor at Itzhoff, wherefrom I will voyage across the sea and return to my ancestral home. The going has been slow. I ride only by night, avoid the towns, and have taken longer routes that will draw less attention. The hunters seek to chase me down, you see, and while I am confident that they are little threat, I must still be wary of where I choose to rest. And all of a sudden, something changed. The hairs on the back of my neck rose. The air felt cooler and more dry. I had not noticed when his gaze had turned, but this visitor was now staring into my eyes. This is all to say that it has been some time since I have fed. I now saw something in those eyes that I had not before. Silver, cold, yes, but there was more. Something behind them, something being hidden, crimson and fire, and a malady. The closer I looked at his face in that moment, the more I noticed cracks in that beautiful veneer, just the smallest twitches and ticks, and a tension that could only be brought on by great restraint. Even as a boy, I could see that this visitor was no man, but a beast, a creature. My mother and father's senses had finally caught up with my own, and hearing the visitor's words and seeing how he gazed upon me, they brought me close to them. The visitor's eyes returned to meet theirs, and, with even greater restraint, they softened. Do not misunderstand me. It is not my intention to tear your boy apart as though he were a pig being slaughtered. I simply require him to sustain myself. To stave off the hunger. He reached out to me with one of his taloned hands, the razor tips of his nails a mere hair's length from my face. But then he pulled it back sharply, seeming to curb that moment of animal want. I will only take what I need of him, little by little, until we reach the harbor. Only to hold back that terrible hunger. With this, the visitor reached deep down into his cloak and pulled out a small sack of black satin. Inside of it, I could hear the clink of gold coins. Hmm? How do I know they were gold? Well, in any case, he continued. It will be a fair exchange, of course. The boy looks strong enough. He may even survive the journey. It's difficult for me to describe to you how I felt in that moment. I was sure that I was dead. Good as dead. I at least had the sense to know that, though maybe not the sense to understand the totality of it. Did I think they would sell me? No. But I had seen how this creature had spellbound my father, and had seen those long claws. I would be taken by suggestion or by force. I was certain in that moment. But, eventually... That moment passed. The visitor did not speak or motion or flick his eyes. He just waited. And after a long silence, my father mustered his courage and gave his answer. Your circumstances are regrettable, my lord, but we cannot accept. He is our son, our only child. The visitor cracked a wicked smile. 
one that carried frustration, but understanding as well. Admirable. Most admirable. He is your son, and this is your home. I will not force you to give me the boy, or take him, but I will warn you. There is only so long I can keep the hunger at bay, and I have found in the past that at these times, civility leaves me, and when it does, you will not be safe. Not a soul from many miles from here will be safe, and I would so regret what would follow. So I ask you, one last time, will you give me what I need? My father was silent, and that silence spoke everything. Then I will leave you. I have enjoyed this short visit, my lord woodsman, and I very much hope for the sake of yourself and your family that I can restrain myself for one more night. So just as suddenly as he had come, he had gone, riding off into the dark night, darker than it. And I wish, how I wish that were the end of this story, how I wish it every night. But as I told you, this is the story of one night and the very next. The next day passed without much event. My father did his work, my mother hers. Me? I did the only thing that I thought might help. I spent the day making little charms, small things that the priest showed me how to make before the red rot had taken him two springs earlier. All day long I looped crow feather, holly, and wrought iron on string, perhaps not so ornate as Micah's in my haste. I placed them on our door and our windows. I walked along the outskirts of the town and placed them on trees every ten feet. I actually thought that they would do something. They had to, I thought. I had to be able to do something because otherwise, because of me. But perhaps that was foolishness, I thought, overly cautious. The town had many charms already. The visitor would have traveled for many miles more in the remaining moonlight the evening before, far from us. I hoped. Eventually, as the day grew late, my parents called me home. We did not speak of the night prior. But as we finished our supper, when the sun began to set in the sky, my father put his hand on my shoulders and my mother took my hand in hers. They told me that I was to spend the night beneath the house, under the floorboards, that I was not to come out until morning, for any reason. They told me that they loved me. After that, the night came, and with it... It began on the other side of town, to the south, a crashing and a great din that carried all the way to our home. As the night carried on, the crashing grew closer and louder, and when it was close enough, the screams began to reach us. Horrid, blood-curdling shrieks that carried across the sky. As this cacophony grew nearer yet, I could hear my father's steps, guessing from the sound and from the bleed of the candlelight through the boards that he was grabbing his axe. He moved to the door. The crashing had stopped, as with the screams. All we could hear now was the tipping and rustling of ancient beech trees, and soon with it the distant but nearing plod of heavy strides. Then silence. Then 
It was all very fast. It came right through the front door. I heard my father heave his axe, then heard a quick swipe, a spray of something, a sickening gurgle, and the lifeless plop of his body. My mother's scream was cut short in a similar sequence. It began to eat them. My father first, and then my mother. That part seemed forever. My mother's body had fallen over where I hid, and her blood began to drip through the floor. It was everything I could manage to quiet my breathing as I wiped the gore from my eyes. I lay there for minutes, listening to the sickening animal sounds, the heavy breathing, the crunching, the lapping of fluid. The floorboards groaned under this thing's weight. Its sharp claws and bladed pinions drove through the wood. After it seemed to have had its fill, the creature moved from my mother and cooed with satisfaction. It only struck me in that moment, but somehow following the intrusion, the candle in our home was still burning. I tilted my head just slightly up and saw that from my angle I could catch a glimpse of this monster's leg. It was large and muscular, covered in dark fur, and as I had said, taloned. But as this beast made its grotesque sounds, it began to change. The talons grew shorter, the hair receded, the leg became more lithe. After a moment's transformation, all I could see was a shapely calf with beautiful alabaster skin. The noises stopped, and the visitor, his hunger finally sated, walked away into the night. I stayed under the floor until morning as instructed. When I came up, I was met by the ruin of my home and the ruin of my parents' bodies. Among the wreckage I found tattered string, crow feathers, holly, bits of wrought iron, and two other things. A small sack of black satin that had been placed on what was once my doorstep, and a second beside it. They were both filled with gold coins. You may wonder why my father warned nobody. I think he saw the fruitlessness of it. The three of us would have been hanged or beaten to death for taking that visitor into our home, and that would not have changed the town's fate. Or maybe you think that he should have turned the visitor away in the first place. But consider that, had he done that, he wouldn't have known to hide me away. Not that I was ever truly hidden, just placed out of the path of carnage for long enough to be saved. But saved all the same. So, as I said, hospitality is its own reward. Knowing that there was nothing left in that town, that there was no town at all, I traveled on foot for days before finding some transport I could purchase with one of those coins. Strangely, though perhaps not so, I received more of those small sacks over the years. Wherever my life took me, every now and again one would find its way to my doorstep. By what means I know not, though there was no question of whose hand was behind it. Fifty-four in total, which, as far as I recall, is the number of souls who resided in that town up until that fateful night. Excluding myself, of course. With that gold, I started a new life in Eisenkirk. After a few years, I was able to make my way into merchant trade. I did well enough that I retired to the forests, back to my home. I partly funded the reconstruction of this town. There was excuse enough to draw farmers and woodsmen 
given how the trees had reclaimed this land after decades. You might think I'd be soured on visitors, but these lands are fierce, and we all need friends. I do my best to accommodate every guest, and any requests they might have. I learned many things from my mother and father, and the final thing I learned is that sometimes you must make hard choices. One day that visitor will return to this land. I'm sure of it. The cursed ruin of Kester Keep, though empty, still casts a long shadow and still awaits its lord. On that day, should I once again hear that knock on my door, I will make the hard choice, as I pray that you or anyone else will. The Wrong Station is made possible by the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Consider visiting today at patreon.com slash thewrongstation. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, or wherever it is that you listen to The Wrong Station. This week's episode, A Visitor in the Night, was written and performed by Anthony Botello. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Ilan Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmid. You can subscribe to The Wrong Station on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and any other of your favorite podcast services. You can follow The Wrong Station on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. You can also follow The Wrong Station creative team on Twitter at AEW Saxton, AJV Batello, and Jacob BRDS. And until next time, thank you for listening.